Good day to all of our investors and general listeners. This is the Rudd Commentary. My name is Josh Rudd, and I'll be your host on this presentation today. And with me today, as always, is Jack Herr, our Capital Markets Associate. For our new listeners who may not be familiar with our firm, the Rudd Company is a wealth management firm headquartered in Fort Worth, Texas. We manage investments for clients across the country and specialize in active portfolio management, retirement planning, and the setup and management of employer-sponsored retirement plans. Jack, before we dive into our topic for today, why don't you take us into the trading room and bring us up to date? Absolutely. So pretty good quarter for stocks, wasn't it, Josh? The best in a long time. For those who don't know, the Dow actually did have its best quarter in 33 years. That's definitely good news, and we hope for more of that. Before we dive too much into the stock market particularly, I want to start by discussing the economy and some of the biggest headlines over the last couple of weeks. Josh, we always start with consumers, so let's let's just start there. The Consumer Confidence Index for June rose twice as much as expected. It went from about 86 to 100. I think what really drove this was the reopening of the economy, obviously, most regions in the U.S., and also less unemployment claims. We still have to keep an eye on the regional impact. Right now, we are seeing some more cases in the South, particularly. Definitely good news, and, it, and it's good to see that the consumers having some more confidence. Hopefully, that'll drive spending in the future. So we're not just spending money on toilet paper and masks, right? I don't think so anymore, but but more to come there. Although there were still some polls that said that there was some pessimism in the short term that may have something to do with what I just mentioned, some you know rising case numbers and things like that. And is but, very understandable. Yep, definitely. As far as actual consumer spending, that was also up 8% in May, which is about double what expected. The expectations were around 4%, and personal income was actually down 4%. So even though the income was down and spending was up, now I know that's conflicting data, but still outperformed expectations. Um, so it's another piece of good news. And then over the weekend, we actually um, got some news from pending home sales. Josh, I'm sure you saw. With the savings rate higher, pending home sales spiked 44% in May. A few things are driving this. The average interest rate on the 30-year fixed mortgage is now around 3%. And you know, it's incredible how much demand we've seen in the existing, well, both existing and new build homes. You know, Jack, I heard from a friend that they were looking at a mortgage rate at two and three quarters percent. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, I've, I've never bought a house, but that sounds pretty low. The surprising thing to me was this was pretty much across all regions of the U.S. They all saw this kind of pending home sales spike. We'll see if that continues. I'm interested to see where that goes. Does anything particular stick out to you, Josh? A really good question. We've talked about pent-up demand. I think you're seeing a lot of that here. You know, folks are really eager to open up their wallet. We've got a lot of cash in bank accounts with all the stimulus checks that have gone out. We're just ready to get out. Whether we're wearing a mask or not, we uh, we want to open our wallets and spend some money. So next, I want to talk about gold a little bit. And I know this is something we frequently talk about. We actually had our own podcast on it. That was episode three. So if you missed that, please be sure to go back and listen. It was you know a great episode. Gold is actually up 16% this year. And obviously, with all the uncertainty, plus the election and some other factors, I think many analysts on Wall Street wouldn't be surprised to see that number go even higher. Gold's around 1,750 per ounce right now, and it has seen some resistance at 1,800 over the last 10 years. Really just waiting for it to kind of burst through that and maybe go to new heights. Josh, what are your opinions on gold right now? 
Well, as you know, of course, gold is is one of our largest holdings here at the firm. And and you know, interesting, you mentioned that eighteen hundred dollar an ounce resistance level. I, I, did you notice that the price popped above that for just a, a few minutes yesterday? Yeah, I saw it briefly got above. Yeah, it, it's something that for our listeners who may not be aware, it's something we've been watching for quite some time. We'll talk a little bit about what's driving, uh, what we believe is, is driving those price increases a little later in the, in the show today. It's definitely something to be watching. Jack, I think that a lot of assets are moving into gold just as a, a traditional hedge against inflation expectations in the future, but also just a feeling of restlessness and angst among investors. I think that one thing that we need to remember is the price of gold is also a really good indicator of how investors feel about monetary and, and fiscal policy as well. Typically, when when the price of gold goes up, you can tell that investors and the general public are just dissatisfied with the way things are going in those two areas. The one word that stuck out to me there was inflation. You mentioned that. We'll talk about that a little later in the podcast. Be interested to see if we have any additional thoughts on gold. The last thing I wanted to talk about and kind of help segue us into the rest of the podcast is just the overall credit market. For those of you who don't know, the U.S. Treasury yields continue to drop and are now yielding around 0.65% for the 10-year. What do you think about that, Josh? Uh, it's it's amazing. I I still I still look back at the falling bond market over the last, uh, what has it been about? It's been over 30 years since the early 19, uh, it's been almost 40 years. I think we hit a peak back in March of 1980, if I remember that correctly. So now all the fact checkers are going to go Google that. But uh, it's been falling basically for about 40 years. It, it, uh, it It's truly amazing to me to to watch that. And the Fed's willingness to support the credit market by jumping in and actually adding bonds to their balance sheet has led to extremely low yields in both the corporate and municipal bond markets. Well, it hasn't just been the uh, the bonds. I don't know if you've noticed, there were some really good articles in the last week in the journal and some other financial publications about the ETFs on the Fed's balance sheet. It's amazing that the government's stepping in and adding some of the uh, exchange-traded funds as well, which is, is really unprecedented, similarly to the low rates we're seeing in the market today, just something we've never seen before. Do you ever think you'd see it? No, it's it's something that we've had to really take some time and step back and consider our strategy and respond to because when you have the government step into markets like that, pricing discovery becomes much more difficult and becomes much more difficult for us to plan and have a strategy around such a large whale coming into the market like that. And I imagine, you know, we I just mentioned the low yields. A lot of people rely on that investment income during retirement or for other goals in their life. What do you think we can do to adjust? Or is that something that we're going to talk about today? Oh, no, it's, it's, uh, it's a great segue into what we'll be talking about today because it kind of reminds me, you know, the advice out there when a business or a large corporation uh, is ever sued by the government, they have to really step back and consider how they're going to move forward because you're basically dealing with a counterparty with unlimited resources. And I, I believe that that's the type of environment that we're in now when you're looking at interest rates in the bond markets. It's unprecedented and it's very it's a very challenging environment for those that are retired or nearing retirement having to accept those very low rates of interest. All right. Well, that's all I had today. I really just wanted to cover the economy, gold, and the fixed income markets. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on? Jack, I think that's great. And I'm sure our investors and clients appreciate your insight and, and bringing everybody up to date of, on current events. 
So for our program today, I'd like to discuss some of the important changes that have been impacting investors over the past several years. You know, we talked a little bit about those in Jack's market update. A lot of those changes have been occurring over the last decade. It's our belief that these changes could have an impact on on our investors and their plans over the long term as as they look to accumulate wealth and generate income now or, or sometime in the future. Some of these changes have been seen or felt very clearly by investors, but Jack, my concern is that it really some haven't and have been, you know, under the radar for some time, and and I believe may really surprise investors as they approach or move into retirement. So some of, some of these changes are very meaningful and could have a meaningful impact on their ability to live the life they expect now or or in the future in retirement. So Jack, as we move into this topic, I'm sure a lot of our investors have had experiences or established goals where the facts have changed and they've had to change their plans and change their strategy and and work in a different way to try to achieve that goal. Jack, have you ever had any experiences like that, that that you can share with our investors? Yeah, I think the first thing that comes to mind is the first part of my CFA program. So that's the three tests I have to take in order to become a chartered financial analyst. It's, It's almost like a finance MBA, I guess you can say. Going through the first one, I didn't really know what to expect. I thought it was going to be more of a of an extension of undergrad and it wasn't going to be too difficult. But I think the reality set in pretty quick that this test has a 40% acceptance rate for a reason and that it was going to take more than me studying an hour a day over a six-month period. I really, I think about a month in is when I realized this and I really saw how difficult it was going to become. I was going to have to put aside more time on the weekends. I was going to have to start saying no to some of my friends when they wanted to do things. You know, ultimately, I had to make a more detailed schedule, have a better routine. And there were one night a weekend, I would have to just set aside to studying. And it it was difficult. But, you know, I I ultimately got through it and passed. And I, I think that's a good example for me about changing expectations and really having to change your schedule and your routine to reach my goal. At what point did you have to confront the reality that you had to change your routine in order to be successful? I think, like I said, a month in is when I really saw that I wasn't making as much progress as I thought and that this test might be more difficult. A lot of the material, it was just taking me longer time to get through. That was just when reality hit. Did it hit you clearly or did you go through any period of denial? I think I probably went through denial for a couple of weeks, but eventually I realized that I I just had to put more time in. Well, Jack, uh, what a great story. And congratulations again. I know I've told you before, what a what a hard test and just a great experience for you that I'm sure you'll carry with you the rest of your life. I think we talked about on our last podcast that it's, it's not the easy times that build character and define us. It's, it's really the challenges. You know, that's where you learn and that's where you grow. And congratulations for such a great accomplishment. And I believe that our investors can relate to your story in the current environment, especially if if you've really been watching over the last 10 years. Now, I believe what investors are going through now, having to reevaluate strategy and really assessing their environment and reviewing their expectations, is is it a much longer time than the shorter period that you use to study for your exam? It's really, really similar. All of us have been forced to respond to an environment like yours, uh, in your example, that's just changing daily and and frustrating. If you think about it today, our generally ordered way of life, uh, you know, we've got it pretty easy. It's a great time to be alive. 
But when you step back for a moment and think about this in a larger economic or a larger historical context, Jack, really not since the 1940s have most Americans really had to respond to an abrupt change in how we live our lives day to day. And, and why? Well, it's because of the COVID virus. You know, we talk about it all the time, but look back through history. I mean, it's what we've experienced here recently has been thrust upon us. Similarly, when America entered World War II on December 7th, 1941, I don't know if you know this, but the Nazis had already been waging war in Europe for over two years. It wasn't until we were attacked directly that we had to confront the facts that this world had changed and that these changes threatened our way of life in, in America and in the world community. I can only imagine, you know, Jack, I think back to my grandfather at 16 years old, dreaming of all the opportunities ahead of him and making plans on how to spend his youth. You know, maybe he had some tests that he wanted to take and some certifications that he wanted to accomplish. What do you think he felt when he entered the war less than two years later at 18 years old? Yeah, I'm sure he was just completely blindsided, right? Well, it was. And like I said, we knew about the Nazis spreading through. I think they invaded Poland in 1939. So that, that was already happening. And like most of us at first, my grandfather probably thought about himself and all his plans. You know, he probably asked, you know, what's what just happened to me? Like you said, and it right. kind of blindsided him. But like you said about denial and, and confronting the, the changes, but then there was probably a point where he had to confront the reality of those changes and decided to rise to the new challenges that were affecting everyone. The what just happened to me changed to why am I here and what do I need to do now? And then I'm guessing once it was over in this new environment, what has changed and how do I need to change to continue on? And Jack, these are, are questions many of our investors may be asking themselves as they struggle to make sense of this new environment. So today I want to explore today's unique and changing investment environment to help our investors master the new challenges that lie ahead for all of us as we contemplate how to plan for your future and the future of your loved ones in this new environment. So Jack, in, over the last decade, I believe four distinct changes are going to impact the way investors progress toward their goals. But before we explain them individually, it's important for our investors to ask themselves some version of the questions my grandfather asked himself in his new environment. So take a moment to ask yourself why you invest. And when I say this, I want you to consider why you put your money at a greater risk than being held in a savings account. And not why everyone or anyone invests, but why do you? Are you trying to retire at a vacation home, trying to pay for children's college, ensure your wife and children are provided for, pay cash for a home, start a business? And for our ultra-successful younger clients, why are you investing? Sometimes it's hard in your 20s or 30s to really grasp the value of time when working towards a goal. So before we begin, I'm going to ask you to do a quick exercise we introduced a few months back on one of our programs. I want you to ask yourself why you invest. Then when you answer, ask why that answer is important to you. Then do the same until you get down to the basis of what's important to you and your goals and really how you want to live. Jack, we're going to take a quick moment and just do something different on this program. I'd like for our listeners to pause and work through this out loud by themselves or with one another. When you're done, we'll be ready to discuss how this changing environment affects you individually. Okay, now that we're back and you've taken some time to think about why you would choose to invest, Jack, do you want to share with us your thoughts on that exercise? 
Yeah, sure. I consider myself a growth-oriented investor with the main goal of both accumulating and maximizing my wealth for the future. Obviously, I'm a bit younger and I can take more risk because I don't have to rely on investment income or anything like that. Ultimately, when I start thinking about it, my goal is to have financial flexibility in the future. I want to be able to do things like buy a home, a car, and to make other big purchases in life. These things, when I really start to think about it, are important to me. I want to be able to provide for my family. I know that one day they may count on me to do so, and I, you know, I don't want to let them down. I also realize that things may not go exactly as planned, and if I set realistic expectations now and stick to my strategy, I can deal with those challenges in life. Josh, I hope that this answers your questions and gives our audience a guide on how we can think about investing and the importance of answering these questions to the best of our ability. Well, that's exactly the, and I appreciate, thank you so much for doing that. And for those of you that are, that are listening, I just put Jack on the spot. So he's, he's being a great sport about this. That's exactly what I needed and, and wanted to hear today, because just making the point that what we're going to talk about, some of these changes in the environment, they have most likely affected you differently than investors at other stages or with different goals. And a few important factors that probably weighed heavy on our listeners' answers or your season in life. Uh, that's probably the largest factor for most of us. As Jack had just mentioned, he's a little younger. But what about your wealth, either in terms of, of current net worth or earnings power? Health is also a meaningful consideration, as well as your family values and, and your family size. What's important is that you confront the realities of why you invest. In other words, what is important to you and how do you prioritize your time at the current stage in life that you're in. Now that you, our listeners, have a baseline, let's evaluate the current investment environment and discuss some new realities that will confront investors as you work towards some of the goals you identified in our exercise. You ready, Jack? I'm ready. So let's first talk about the most important, and I think the most obvious change that we've seen over the last 10 years, the prolonged low interest rate environment. And we've really seen interest rates fall since about the 1980s. But Jack, in the last 10 years, ever since the financial crisis, interest rates have just gotten very, very low. And I definitely see the effects on the trading side. You know, when I'm going in to buy a bond and I'm literally fighting for one basis point or 0.01% more yield, it's, it's definitely a, a weird environment. For those of you that, that just participated in that exercise and thought a little bit about your, your season of life and some of the things that uh, really drive your investment, I'd like you to think about how this low interest rate environment would impact you in the particular season of life with the objectives that you have. For example, Jack, do you think a low interest rate environment would impact a current retiree more than it would someone like yourself? Yeah, definitely. Oh, you're exactly right. One of the most direct and measurable changes investors are facing has been the change in interest rates over the last decade. The general reduction in interest rates has been steady for the last 40 years. But the most meaningful impact has started to show itself really in the last decade. So consider how your time of life would be impacted by a low interest rate environment. Being in a low interest rate environment now, you know, I think about the benefits of that 30-year fixed rate mortgage. I mentioned buying a house, but for a retiree, I imagine that looks a lot different. Well, that's a great example. As Jack was implying, this change is less important 
to more growth oriented investors. You know, what if you're looking for a home, this might uh, increase the affordability of that home. But what if you are in your retirement or currently taking distributions to fund your day-to-day expenses? You're likely holding over half your investment portfolio or close to it in fixed income investments. Over the past decade, the return on these investments has been stellar due to falling rates. But what you may not realize is actual cash interest paid on these investments has fallen dramatically. You may not have noticed it yet, but your ability to earn future interest from the same type of strategy has diminished significantly. For example, each time you reinvest the proceeds from a maturing fixed income investment, and that doesn't matter if it's a bond, a CD, an annuity, whatever the case may be, you're likely to see your income drop considerably. So what do you do? You stop pursuing the goals you just identified in our exercise? Of course not. You move from the lower yielding investments into higher yielding ones? Do you shift more money to growth-oriented stocks in order to make up the difference in return? These are the questions that you should be asking with your advisor and why it's so important to reevaluate that strategy in light of this current low interest rate environment. Let's move on to, to our second change that I believe has impacted investors over the last decade. What about the unprecedented levels of economic stimulus that we've seen really since 2008 we've never seemed to come back from? And we've talked about this stimulus in the past on the podcast. It's something where there's a lot of money going into the system, but the output really isn't changing. I think there's definitely going to be some effects from the stimulus. So as we discussed, we've seen a very high level of government support over the last 10 years, Jack. And it's something that we've been watching very closely and and the impact of that increased money supply you know, you had mentioned several times on uh, some prior episodes, just those cash payments going out to individuals and spending that money. And we're seeing that, for example, possibly in consumer confidence. And and we've seen that in some of the upticks in, in retail sales recently. But our concern here at the firm is really that we're removing the risk of failure for businesses, which concern me a little bit as someone that's charged with investing capital. What I see happening is is we get institutions that are now relying on, I think, what we've thrown around in our office that's called a government put on a lot of the investments that, say, novice or inexperienced investors are making. So, for example, we saw a very large bankruptcy this past week with Chesapeake Energy. In my opinion, companies like that, unfortunately, have been around much longer than they should have. And you're seeing a lot of companies that due to economic stimulus and very low interest rates, as we've already talked about, have been able to survive. You know, back in the 1980s and 90s, we called these zombie institutions. It's, in my opinion, much better if we can recognize the risk and consolidate in certain industries. We can really be more productive really use capital in a more productive fashion as we move forward. And ultimately, I believe what it does to younger generation and and those that are newer investors is give them a false sense of security that the market is not volatile or that the government's going to step in with unlimited stimulus in those situations. I think the impact to retired investors, believe it or not, is probably minimal, Jack, with a possible benefit. You know, you talked about these uh, stimulus checks, I believe, on the last podcast and earlier. Retirees may have some more cash in their in their accounts. So the impact here is not as important. Working investors, probably more impacted than 
the other two categories of investors that we've talked about just because they're approaching retirement. And I believe that a lot of government intervention, unfortunately, can increase volatility in the market and have some unintended consequences there as well. That's a little more complicated topic, but the reason I wanted to bring it up is the long-term impact of us continuing to depend on that government stimulus, I believe, has some side effects that are going to be felt for a long time. Yeah, definitely have a point with the volatility. We've seen it. We just we just had our best quarter in stocks, yet still a lot of uncertainty with the economy. So the, the next change that I'd like for investors to consider in light of the exercise that they just went through is signs of inflation out in the marketplace. How do you feel about that as, as a person who may want to eventually buy a home, Jack? It's a tough topic. We've talked about it in the past and inflation, sometimes it can be hard to see. It's, it's sneaky. You don't necessarily realize that it's happening. And before you know it, prices are going up and could be a number of different assets. It's, it's definitely something to think about. Yeah, we've talked about this as the, as the thief in the night. It's something that if, if you look at the measures that the government releases on CPI and you really follow that basket of goods, you may be under the false assumption that inflation is not a problem. In fact, you may be more concerned about deflation in an environment like this. I know there's been a lot of chatter about that as well. But I'd like for the next time you go out and, and you drive by a car dealership or you read in the paper about the increasing home sales, low interest rates, I can tell you that assets are moving up. And you can see that. We talked about the price of gold, which you correctly brought up, is starting to creep up. And I think that is a is an indication that we do have some inflation starting to, to creep in, or at least the expectations. But think about how those raising asset prices that could happen in large assets like cars and homes could really impact you differently based on the exercise we went through and, and your stage in life and why you invest. Jack, why don't you share with us how large asset prices rising, such as cars and homes, might have a negative impact on on younger investors? Yeah, I think investors may decide to take money out of the market or out of their savings account and put them into things like that. And if those assets are cost more, you're obviously going to have to take more money out and that's going to drain down savings. As we all know, you know, the earlier you kind of get started investing, the more beneficial it is. Those withdrawals from your savings account can be really impactful for the young investor. And something also to consider that, you know, I get worried about with young professionals, even those that are successful, is it could actually delay some of these purchases. And we could have younger families and younger investors renting for longer and not able to enter the marketplace as a consumer. The affordability of a lot of these assets really makes it a lot harder, especially if we have a snapback and we move into a recession. And I believe that's it's part of the reason why you're seeing all this economic stimulus that we talked about earlier is to try to stop the gap in, in those uh, lost wages and disconnects out there in, in the economy. Think about the comparison, which you just mentioned from a young investor, to those that are closer to retirement. If you're five years out from retirement, you probably already own your home and you're not looking at making those changes. You might be looking at a new car or some final large purchases. But as you get farther along in retirement, the inflation becomes more important for you on your day-to-day expenses. Like, for example, the price of milk, the price of tomatoes, price of coffee, your day-to-day expenses. It's not that that doesn't impact a young working 
uh, investor that's increasing their income, but it's going to have less of an impact because their earning power is increasing. Whereas a retired investor, they're on a fixed income. And as we just talked about with interest rates, Jack, their earning power may actually be decreasing. So I cannot stress how important it is to recognize these changes that are happening in the market and that could be here for a long time. So Jack, I want to move into the last change that I think is is having a meaningful impact and something that investors should consider. You know, back in the financial crisis, we saw a big change in attitude and culture in regulation in this country. We saw the Dodd-Frank Act come out. We saw now restrictions from banks on their payment of dividends and share repurchases, which by the way, I saw an article last week again on that topic. Talk to me a little bit about how higher regulation on business, particularly small business, and also uh, you know anything you think is related to COVID-19, uh, can impact younger investors. This hits home with me because my dad owns a small business and I work at a small business. So these are things that I think about a lot. And I think with more regulation, usually comes more costs to the the business owners. And you know some of the bigger businesses may be able to deal with these costs easily. The higher regulation could have a huge burden on some some small businesses. And we've also talked about the airlines is a great example that a lot of the health concerns over COVID-19 are hopefully shorter term. But this is an example where you may have a profitable, excellent business and not be able to move forward and not be able to uh, reach profitability because of some changes in the environment. You know, we talk about airlines, they've all been driven by seat miles over the last probably three or four decades. That's what they've focused on. You've seen their utilization go way up. And, you know, we all complain as travelers, they're packing as many people into these planes as they can. But think about now their ability to earn a profit. Now that, you know, we can't have as many people on planes This is a great example of how restrictions, whether it's due to government regulations or health concerns, have a huge impact on the profitability of these companies. And guess what? You as an individual investor own these firms and you're relying on them to pay you dividends and to return earnings per share that leads to growth and hopefully higher stock prices. So depending on how we change our way of doing business can have a significant impact on you depending on what your goals and objectives are and the answer to the question why you invest. As Jack mentioned, with younger investors, they're going to be focused on growth investments. So any drag on the earnings of these companies that they own, similar to Jack's father's business, is going to have a significant impact over a much larger period of time. So earnings over that period of time is going to impact you as you invest for 20 and 30 years. If you're closer to retirement in that retirement red zone, less of an impact on the the drag on profits, but it's still important. You've still got a large portion of your investments in growth. And those last five years, while it's more important for us to dampen volatility closer to retirement and in retirement, it's still meaningful to make sure that businesses are able to go out and earn the money that they've worked so hard for. Retired investors, much less of an impact. As time seems to go down with this type of a change, less of a direct impact. As we talked about earlier, if you're a retired investor and you don't have the 30 years of growth for asset accumulation or you're working on building assets over such a long period of time, you're going to be less concerned about those types of changes a drag on growth 
then you are a uh, impact of current income. But as we talked about before, if there's restrictions on paying dividends and interest, that could directly impact you. This type of a change in the marketplace can have an impact on everybody. What type of impact is determined, what stage you're at, and some of those goals that we talked about and really answering the question, why you invest. So Jack, many investors don't realize they're reacting to these changes without assessing their new environment and first answering the most important question, why invest. In fact, I would say that a lot of investors as they as they go through the day like you and your 401k are investing out of their paycheck, right? Yep. So they're not really thinking about the changes. Everything seems to be on autopilot. And one of the things that we talk about at this firm is we're not on autopilot. We're actively flying this airplane to its destination and hoping to get our investors to where they want to go in the future and, and get them get them there safely. So ask yourself why you invest. And this is personal. You're not doing this for me, Jack, or anyone else. It's about you, your family, and your goals. Each time you come into our office, it's important for us to review why you're here. Then we will assess the environment and create a strategy to help you reach your goals and have a positive impact on those goals and the people that are important to you. Of course, on this program, we can't help you evaluate your why. We can't recommend a strategy without investing our time. For all of us here at The Rudd Company, this is an exciting and enjoyable part of our process, whether we are meeting over the phone or in person. If you feel you would like to revisit your why or discuss your strategy in light of these changes discussed on our program today, I would encourage you to contact us. It is always time well spent. As always, if you enjoyed this program or know other investors that this would positively impact, please share the Rudd commentary through email or on social media. We also like feedback on our program and ideas for future topics. If you have the time, we would really enjoy hearing from you. All of us here at the Rudd Company would like to thank you, our investors and clients, for being our why. We appreciate each one of you for allowing us to be your partner in this financial journey. Before we sign off today, I have a special request for our investors and clients. At the Rudd Company, we have an opportunity to work and serve some very successful people. Many of you have inspired me with your hard work, resilience, and a commitment to excellence in your profession. Most of us in America grew up in a time where this desire to stand apart and be excellent was not only rewarded, but admired. Do me a favor. In this unique environment today, if you see a young person standing out and pursuing excellence, reward it. This could be through individual recognition, an extra large tip, or simply an acknowledgement. I firmly believe that it is our responsibility as successful leaders to encourage excellence in others. If you're looking for a high return on investment this month, Take some time to call it out, encourage, and reward excellence in others. Thank you very much for listening today. This is the Rudd Commentary. I'm your host, Josh Rudd. And from all of us here at the Rudd Company, invest in excellence and we will all prosper. This commentary is distributed for informational purposes only and is not intended to constitute legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice. Nothing herein constitutes any offer to sell or solicitation of any offer to buy any security. All investment strategies and investments involve risk of loss, including the possible loss of principal invested, and nothing herein should be construed as a guarantee of any specific outcome or profit. Past performance is not indicative of future results. 
Any opinions expressed by employees of the Rudd Company are the Rudd Company's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of any affiliates. The opinions expressed by guest speakers are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Rudd Company or any affiliates. Guest appearances on this program does not imply the Rudd Company's endorsement of any entity, person, product, service, or investment. All opinions are current and only as of the date of recording and are subject to change without notice.